0: You are listening to Asian SkyCast, the show that brings you the most updated aviation industry insight. Hi, welcome to Asian SkyCast. I'm Jeff Lowe, Managing Director of Asian Sky Group. You will my, my first time behind the mic. And with me today, I'm joined by Alud Davies. You probably all know Alud, and maybe some of you don't know, but you probably know him with Corporate Jet Investor. But I guess uh, Olud, uh, a long history in, in the blogging business. It seems as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, morning, first of all, Jeff. I uh, hope you're well. Um, yeah, thanks for the intro. Um, as you know, um, I started the BizJet blogger blog back in uh, 2011, I think it was, and then later joined corporate jet investor in 2014.
0: Yeah, I mean, what, if I may ask, and before we get into today's topic, I mean, what pushed you or what what got you into the blogging business? So you've been you've been in business aviation for well, I guess we're getting on twenty years now, right?
1: Uh, possibly even longer, but I'd have to admit my age told you just how long, um, (laughs) but yeah, no, absolutely. Um, always been an aviation geek. Uh, my father was an aviation geek, uh, as well and sort of passed that on to me. So it sort of runs in the family, I guess.
0: Yeah. I have the, I have the same, uh, if you will, the same pedigree. Yeah. My dad got me into this business as well. And. So, back when you started blogging, I mean it wasn't so mainstream, well, maybe it was, but I don't imagine in business aviation there were there were a lot of other bloggers out there, so uh,
1: not as far as I remember, no, and I think that, that was part of the reason why um the blog that I did write was was as successful as it was um, and you know fortunately, it was successful and led me on to the job working with Corporate jet investor, so it was a, a perfect thing to do for me, yeah
0: and I have to also ask I see um the Sapphire Pegasus Business Award from last year. You want to tell us a bit about that?
1: Um, I mean, there's not really much to say, Jeff. Um, it was uh, it's sort of voted for by different people. It um, goes into a voting public voting process, first of all, uh, and then goes to a, a panel of judges towards the end, and, and luckily I came out on top.
0: Okay, I'm sure it was uh, more than luck. Anyways, um, getting on today's subject, um, Asian Sky Group, Asian Sky Media, we put out a fleet report every year. Most of you will have seen that. We released it last month. Always as part of that uh, business jet fleet report, there are a series of country profiles as well. Uh, The fleet report itself tends to look at the Asia Pacific region as a whole, but we get down to the nitty gritty, if you will, of the individual countries in the country profiles. And, And this year we were determined to, if you will, give our readers more bang for the buck. And so we wanted to put a bigger engine under the hood And so that's why we conscripted uh, allude into helping us put those country profiles together. Again, the objective being at the end of the day that the product and the data and the analysis that we provide on to our viewers and those interested in the country profiles was bigger and better. So today what we're going to do is we're going to touch on a few of those country profiles, uh, North Asia, so South Korea, Japan, and then tackle the big 800 pound gorilla, the greater China country profile. And again, we'll just talk about our analysis, feedbacks, impressions. Certainly, it's a market that I've been working in for a long time. It's one that you've been working into a long time. And we'll just see what additional commentary we can add to what's in the fleet reports or uh, in the country profiles already. So if you're ready to to give it a go, Alud, we'll start off with uh, South Korea. For me, uh, it's it's not a huge market, obviously. Uh, Only 21 airplanes. Not particularly a lot going on one year to the next it's a fairly static fleet in that sense as well
1: so that that's pretty much what i'd say as well i mean we started with the country that probably saw the least activity uh during 2019 um the last three years ended with 21 aircraft in 2017 went down to 20 aircraft in 2018 and bounced back up to 21 in 2019 so it seems to be around that 20 aircraft level that um that it remains at
0: and not much of a domestic market at all because again the size categories for most of the aircraft are all long range or corporate airliners my interpretation of that is you're not seeing much much happening domestically it's all going out of the country
1: yeah and most of those aircraft are actually owned by the large corporations in in korea as well so it doesn't seem to be much of a charter market even in korea
0: Yes, and biggest operator in the in the country being Korean Air. They've got nine aircraft in their fleet, and as you said, the next really just being a, maybe a, a Chiebel, but other than that, not much more from from the market than than Korean Air.
1: And, and even Korean Air, they they manage some of those aircraft on behalf of some of those big uh, large Chiebels as well.
0: Looking at uh, two thousand and nineteen, they added a six hundred and fifty. ER into the market, but as you said, that's that's the one airplane addition. Not else much, much else to mention. Infrastructure wise,
1: so infrastructure, of course, um, there is only one FBO in um, in Korea. It's, it's Seoul uh, Kimpo Airport. It opened a couple of years ago. Um, it does seem to be getting busier and busier um, as the years go on. Um, but again, the, the the Korean charter market is is relatively quiet. So the majority of people that are visiting are uh owners uh that are flying in to do business in korea
0: and most of the aircraft are registered on the korean registry so hl is there i mean not much use of um you know offshore registry at all is that because there are some limitations in country
1: well, i think it's more likely um due to the to the low amount of aircraft in the country in the first place um, you know korea does uh much like china keep quite uh tight control on its on its airspace um, of course, um, Seoul, the capital, is very close to the North Korean border um, with all of the military activity that goes on there. Um, so, yeah, I, I see that market as um, fairly stable, fairly quiet. Um, and the chances of it changing much in the next few years are, are probably fairly slim, I would have thought.
0: Yeah, agreed. Which uh, kind of leads us into the next one, Japan, which was, for me, one of the surprises of the um the report saw some significant growth in their in their market. Um, again, we could sort of surmise that was a, a bounce from the Olympics, and maybe that'll now continue into next year with the delay in the Olympics. But it's also always been a market for me that s- seems to be um, a bit bipolar. You know, the two big categories are light jets and long range jets, and sort of nothing in between. So you've got these two extremes and Not too surprisingly, then, the OEMs that are dominant are Textron and Gulfstream.
1: So so Japan itself, of course, has been heavily regulated uh, for years. Um, So this year, uh, or last year, I should say, um, you're absolutely right. There was some growth there. Um, But it's worth pointing out those aircraft that that, that did grow the fleet. Four of those aircraft were delivered to the Coast Guard uh, for Falcon 2000 series. And we also saw the first of the Honda Jet Elites, um going into the country as well so a major major uh major reason for cheer for um mr fujino who of course uh wanted desperately to see the honda jet and elite in in japan in the first place
0: yeah if you look at the uh the the fleet growths certainly daso and honda jet were the big the big growers but as you as we would say but not a very big fleet to begin with so um, obviously, the change in the number of units having a significant factor on the growth rate. Uh, um, net eight aircraft delivered into the region, as you say, that being dominated by Dassault and HondaJet. You know, the light and long-range jets—they they represent seventy percent of the market. I don't know any other. Any other high points do you want to mention, particularly about the Japanese market?
1: Um, no, I mean the the point I would have made would 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 be about HondaJet starting to get a, a foothold in the In the japanese market um which we've already covered you know i remember sitting down with um fujino san at some a couple of years ago uh, and talking to him and him saying um you know this is this aircraft is pretty much designed for um japan uh it will appeal to the japanese market um but he was desperate to get those aircraft in there so um, now he has i'm sure he's a very happy man
0: biggest operator phoenix jet been followed as you as we noted earlier by the japan coast guard that took those deliveries of all those uh the falcon 2000 l uh, lxs's infrastructure what impact do you think the olympics is going to have if you will now and and next year
1: well um i think there's a big question about whether it's even going to be held next year i think i was uh i think i was reading something about that the other day uh, some people saying that it might not be ready um for next year as well um But like we said at the beginning, Japan's a very heavily um, regulated market anyway, Um, not the easiest place to get slots in, especially uh, at times that you want them to. Um, But I believe the Japanese government alongside the Japanese uh, Business Aviation Association have been working hard to to sort of change the attitude there.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, a, a long work in progress. Uh, I remember back from my Gulfstream days, you know, my chairman at that time was Brian Moss. And, you know, we were members of PBEK and any association we could get us on on the ground in Japan where we could, you know, tout and push and proclaim the benefits of business aviation. And it was just tough going. It was tough going for many, many, many years. But certainly most of the feeling I've gotten recently is that they are starting to get better and starting to open up. Would you would you agree with that?
1: Well, I was just going to ask you um, ask you a quick question about uh, whether you thought that, that Japan's lack of growth was partly due to Japanese people's perception of wealth and of, and of flouting wealth, and if you thought that was going to be a major. Oh,
0: I, I think I think that's definitely got something to do with it. I mean, we talk about the uh, the restrictions and how difficult a market it is, but at the same time, uh, I still feel that the business jet is something that isn't necessarily uh, embraced. Uh, in in Japanese culture, and it's uh, somewhat regarded as a gratuitous expense by the owner. And there have been uh, some owners that have come and gone that were from, I guess, not mainstream industries that haven't helped the perception of the the business jet in Japan either.
1: Do you think that's valid for Korea as well?
0: Yes, I think probably uh, for Korea as well. I think there's still a perception issue in both countries. I mean, leading on to the next one, then, and, and the one we'll probably spend the most time on, just because it it, it does really, as, as you mentioned yourself, it's really the barometer of uh, the general health of the industry uh, in the Asia Pacific region is Greater China, mainland China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and and Macau. It's by 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 far the biggest fleet uh, combined. You're almost 500 airplanes, so. It is, as I said earlier, the sort of 800-pound gorilla in the corner, and the rest of the the, the region kind of goes as it goes. First, first impressions then, Allude.
1: Um So first impressions, um, continuing its slow decline over the course of the last couple of years, um, it, uh, pretty much in line with thinking and in, in line with presumably uh, what's going on in uh, the general Chinese economy at the moment as well. Yeah,
0: I think there's... There's a number of so, number of reasons for that. Certainly, the uh, the general d- slowdown in the economy, and then some some other uh, external factors. Obviously, the biggest being the uh, the dispute between the U.S. and China on on trade issues.
1: So, do do you think that's actually had a a major impact? So, um, yourself and I, we were both on the so we were both on the CGI um, panel back in. Um, Back in February, it seems so long ago, uh, the Asia panel, um, where we were discussing this. Um, and I think you described the market at the time as a bit murky. Um, and obviously, quite a lot's happened so far this year. But is that still your well, the issue
0: for the issue for me for the trade uh, dispute is uh, it probably directly doesn't have any impact. But as you know, business sentiment, confidence... Uh, where you think you're going to be or your company is going to be in six months, 12 months from now, that that weighs down on your decision of whether to buy an aircraft or not or, or make any big business decision or investment. So for me, the trade war or dispute, I should say, was always impacting the business because people put their wallets back in their pocket and decided, you know, I'm 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 going to wait and see. I mean, we're in the same situation right now with with COVID-19. I mean, business activity is still there, but no one's pushing that 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 button to finally go through with the transactions because everyone's taking a wait and see. It wasn't, you know, with the trade dispute there was more of a a commentary that you can follow sort of in the press as well as how negotiations were going, but between the two parties, so it's a little was a little bit different. Uh, obviously, with with the trade dispute, uh, with COVID nineteen, we're, we're probably still not certain how it's all going to end and play out. Whether or not we'll see a third wave, or or even uh, you know how this is all going to go through the rest of the year. So that kind of hangs out there over all of us. So I certainly feel the the trade dispute certainly had an impact, but through confidence just uh, with everybody
1: and, and you, you mentioned that and sentiment as well and sentiment is something that's tracked in sort of um the asq isn't it so you can track people's sentiments over the course of the last sort of year and a half and, and see yeah, how yeah. that's been changing I,
0: I love that graph in in asian sky quarterly where we we map uh the optimism or lack of it if you will regionally through the asia pacific region it's uncanny how it tracks with events in each specific country as well so but as you as you noted earlier, the the fleet in Greater China has uh, second year in a row now declined. Again, the big driver there being mainland China. So we'll we'll talk about that more specifically in a second. For me, uh, it's always been a, a long range, large cabin market in, in Greater China. But where we're seeing most of the erosion or in the in the market share, though, it's coming in the large cabin airplanes. And so when you look at the additions and deductions, you're seeing you know, Falcon 7Xs, Legacy 650s, 450s. These are all 550s. These are all the big categories that are, that are losing aircraft from the region. And so looking at mainland China specifically focused on mainland China and Hong Kong because they're the, they're the two key markets. Again, mainland China has just had a terrible run over the last couple of years
1: but you so you mentioned sort of the large cabin aircraft, um, but that of course is the way that the general industry is going at the moment isn't it so it's it's larger f- aircraft that can fly further, so one could argue um initially that those aircraft leaving the sort of large aircraft up to the sort of the g four fifty sides could be a sign that people are placing orders and getting ready to take delivery of those larger aircraft of the g six fifties and sort of moving up the range. But that's not happened, has it? What you're seeing is an outflow of aircraft, but it's not matched by an inflow. Because
0: we're, I mean, normally one wouldn't get rid of your airplane until you've got the new one coming. And so we're seeing no increase, sizable increase in the long range fleet. It remained the same from last year. So again, we're just not seeing that happen yet. We'd always assumed that we would see more new aircraft deliveries coming into the region, but that hasn't happened either. So...
1: And do you think that's partly because of nervousness due to um, t- possible introduction of tariffs on those aircraft?
0: I have always said that I didn't think so, uh, because for me, there's enough of a discouragement already due to duty and VAT taxes that are applicable for aircraft that are being imported into China. Uh, for me, the tariffs uh, would have just, if it was a 5% or a 10%, would have just been on top of the, the 23, 23 point something that it is already. And so whether you were going to buy or not, probably was already made based on that 23% you were going to pay. So another 5% isn't going to suddenly swing you one way or the other. You are you had already made your mind up.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So what, what about moving down in the size categories? Um, smaller aircraft, um, or smaller business jets, I should say, um, still aren't really a feature on the mainland, are they?
0: Nope, not at all.
1: Okay, and so the, the aircraft that are there, the sort of citations and things like that, they seem to be flying with flying schools.
0: Yeah, pretty pretty much predominantly. Uh, you know, the the few deals that we've done in the region, which were involving CJ ones and that size aircraft, have all been for uh, flying schools.
1: And so, do you think it's um, do you think it's an infrastructure issue why those um, aircraft haven't really taken off in in China?
0: I think it's infrastructure. Uh, I think it, you have to look at the typical. Chinese traveler if you will they generally not yet anyways travel in small groups Uh, most of the time they're fairly large groups and they tend to take a lot of stuff with them Um, even even on the business side we're you know we haven't seen that you know chairman jumping in on a Honda jet to pop over to the factory We, we haven't seen that yet. We're all betting on that it will come eventually, and certainly the size of the country will justify it and the economic activity will justify it, but it hasn't trickled down to that kind of level yet. But again, for mainland China, uh, 2019, uh, growth down 3.8%. The previous year it had been 2%, so certainly not the the engine of growth in the Asia-Pacific region at the moment.
1: No, but like, like you pointed out earlier on, there are more aircraft in in, in greater China than there probably are in the rest of um, Asia combined. Uh, so it's still an important market.
0: Yes. Largest operator being, uh, well, looking at uh, greater China. Largest operator being Sinojet. If you look specifically just at China, though, I think it switches back. And Deerjet, I think, is the biggest one.
1: Uh, very true, but actually, what's really notable um, is uh, the size of AirJet's fleet uh, declining uh, and quite rapidly as well. Um, why is, have you got any sense of why specifically that's happening with AirJet? Uh, in,
0: the, in their in their defense, I think uh, you know they've kind of been around the longest, uh, so there were certain portions of their fleet that were, frankly, the the aircraft were quite old. So I think some of that has just been uh, You know, aircraft have been retired, replaced, or sorry, I shouldn't say replaced, just retired. Uh, They have streamlined their fleet, uh, I think, and tried to make it more efficient by having not as many many model types. But, and again, I think it's just, uh, they haven't done as well as I'm sure they would have liked, because uh, unfortunately they've been kind of dragged into the whole Hainan Airlines, uh, if you will, I don't know what you want to call them. They've obviously had some financial challenges. And I think that has impacted not only Deerjet, but also Hong Kong Jet, uh, who has the same owner, but impacted them in Hong Kong as well. So I think both of them have experienced fairly high declines. And again, you could sort of roll that back to its parent company having some difficulties as well. So as a result, they've had to reduce the size of their fleets. I think they've moved out some of their older equipment as well. Um, we've got a lot of new startups, a lot of younger, more aggressive, with a different business model and different pricing operators in the in the market at the moment. So it's it's a tough business in China right now for for management companies for sure.
1: And does that apply to BAA as well? Uh, looking at the data, uh, their fleet has dropped by 13 aircraft over the course of the last two years.
0: Yeah, I think same applies for them in that um, you know BAA have. Been through a couple of ownership changes since they were originally, uh, if you will, under the Amber Aviation Gang. Um, So there's been a lot of changes for them. Owners hate uncertainty. And so again, they vote with their feet where they'll go to a different operator who one they feel is more stable. So I think that's impacted BAA as well. Like I said, been through a couple of not whole scale ownership changes, but as far as the shareholding and who owns the BAA has changed uh, over the last uh, six, seven years, a number of times.
1: And do you think that's why you've seen the, the rise of Sinojet? Do you think that's, uh, that's the stability that you mentioned, that people get getting that from Sinojet? Yes.
0: And again, I think it's also to deal with, with the different business model. Uh, you know, Sinojet has always been very much, even though they're a Chinese operator, they're always using foreign registration, they're using offshore registrations, uh, I think their, their, their business model is a little bit different from the Deer Jets and the Hong Kong Jets of the world as well. I think they're much more aggressive too, uh, whether or not you see that in the pricing and, and what they're putting into their package that they offer to different, different clients. Um, I'm not privy to the, the, the exact details, but my sense is that they're, they've got a good package. Uh, as you say, they've got stability. Uh, I think they seem to have figured out how best to do the Hong Kong and do the mainland China together as one and appear as one. When I was at BAA uh, several years ago, it was you know BAA BAA jet management here in Hong Kong, but then it was BAA limit in the mainland. The two working together in sync was a challenge at times. I'm, I'm sure I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but there are different cultural differences, different uh, just business thoughts and how to do business in Hong Kong versus in, at that time, Shenzhen. And it was always a bit of a challenge sometimes to get the two sides to work together. Sinojet seems to have figured it out. Uh, they've got this image of all you know one for all and all for one. Um, and you see that in their numbers. They've had you know almost explosive growth over the last two years, almost doubling their fleet, going from 23 to 40 airplanes. So significant growth for them. And that's just that's just the China fleet. If you add in Hong Kong, that I think it takes the number up to 45.
1: So. And do you think that's going to increase that this year, even though the, uh, the COVID um, issues that we're having?
0: Well, what do you think? I'm sure everyone would like to know. Um, I, I don't think we all know what's going to happen, really, in the second half of this year. Uh, we're quite fortunate here in Hong Kong in that um, we're pretty much back to normal. Maybe we can call it the new normal. But certainly, uh, as far as people moving about and business getting done, people are back in their offices uh, lining up for that restaurant at lunchtime now. Those, the days of just walking in and getting the table you want are gone again. So we're pretty much back to normal here. Uh, hopefully it stays that way. And probably we still need, we still need a couple more weeks or maybe a, another couple more months before we're all 100% satisfied that we're back. Uh, China's opening up again. I think I saw statistics the other day that, you know, domestic flying is back up to almost 65% or 64% of what it was before. So everyone's moving around, but I think we're going to have to let that take part for, take place for a while to see if the rates of infection stay down where they are at the moment or whether we're going to see a little bit of an up spike again and then have to deal with that, hopefully not, so that come the summer we'll... Everything will be as back to normal as much as possible. That is here where we are. We're still going to have to wait for the rest of the world to catch up.
1: Yeah, I think Asia is uh, obviously leading with, with um, everything came out of Wuhan, first of all. So there's sort of a natural lag between what happened there and what's happening here as well. But Europe seems to be see, uh, opening up slightly as well at the moment. So hopefully, like you say, we can get back to some sort of normal uh, as soon as possible.
0: So we talked about China. Let's switch over to to Hong Kong now. And again, it's it's probably having a rough run of it right at the moment too. Negative growth uh, 2019. How do you think it shakes out here in Hong Kong versus what we're seeing in China then?
1: Uh, So actually, I mean, this is probably more of a question um, you could probably answer yourself, Jeff, because you're obviously based in Hong Kong uh, yourself. Um, The Hong Kong uh, economy, of course, contracted by, I think it was 1.2%. Uh, last year uh, due to the ongoing uh, yeah
0: but then almost almost nine percent in the first quarter okay <laughs>
1: yeah yeah absolutely so, so things aren't uh, things aren't so rosy um,
0: and again if you look at your you know you look at the country profile I mean uh, you know the growth has really flattened out we were we were down last year it's a lot of large cabin airplanes again uh, global 5000s g550s these are what these are what we're seeing leave the market out here. So in Hong Kong, that is.
1: And do, do you think part of that? I mean, obviously, um, part of this is th- the major part of this is because of the protests and the general effect that it's had on the economy. Um, the Hong Kong airport itself is obviously at saturation point and, and difficult to get slots and parking. Do you do you think that's partly to do with it?
0: Yeah, for, absolutely, for sure, hundred percent. So uh, I can say for sure that uh, certainly last year we had a number of clients who. I guess their frustration level had grown to such a point where getting their aircraft when they wanted to and therefore having that productivity uh, that we all talk about it, it had disappeared. And so they had just gotten to the point, why do, why do I have this? Why do I have this? You know, a lot of people have invested in setting up other places to park airplanes in the Philippines and so on and so forth, but, you know, the issue you then have is it it didn't become a parking issue anymore. It became a slot issue. So my aircraft is still out of Hong Kong. I still have to bring it back. I still have the slot issue then. And therefore it meant for that executive that, you know, he had to plan any trip he wanted several days in advance so that, you know, part of business aviation has always been, you can respond quickly, set your own schedule, go when you want to go. I mean, that all kind of went away. And so we certainly saw that impact with a number of clients selling their aircraft and, and not not getting replacements.
1: So the Chinese government uh, sort of identified Macau as, uh, as a regional business aviation hub. Um, do you think that's going to help? I mean, presumably there will need to be um, regular uh, sort of helicopter routes between Macau and Hong Kong for, for, for Hong Kong owners to, to really base their aircraft in Macau in the first place.
0: Yeah, they, I mean... The government may have chosen Macau just because it's, it's underutilized at this point in time. It's not a big airport. There's not a lot of ramp space there to begin with. Um, but as you saw from the country profile, it's, it's 10 airplanes in Macau at the moment. Uh, they're increasing the, the, uh, the ramp there. So that's providing more access. They've got a new FBO run by TAG, uh, some hangar space and everything else. So there is the potential there for business aviation to take a bigger foothold. But I liken the scenario to when I first came out here and, and Hong Kong airport, as you said, had all these challenges and the, the philosophy or the, the, the business model that we were talking about then was, and again, because at this point in time, you know, you were hearing about difficulties in getting permits to operate into China. And this is back when you needed a letter of invitation and you had to submit that to the CAC headquarters in Beijing and get approvals and have a letter from who you're going to visit in on the China side, and then an acknowledgement of what your site itinerary is going to be. I mean, you had to jump through all these kinds of hoops back, you know, this is 10 years ago. And so a lot of people were just saying, look, it's just, it's, it's difficult to do that from Hong Kong. So the business model then was, well, look, we'll, we'll base your aircraft in Shenzhen. Okay. So you're already in China and you can just operate domestically then. You don't have to go through all that. Hubabulu, and then you can just drive up from Hong Kong up to Shenzhen, go across the border and, you know, do it that way. It all sounded great on paper, but in the end, I don't know of any owner that ever did that in the end. Uh, they all like all the chairmen we know in the world. They want their aircraft as close as possible to them. And despite all those arguments and everything else and the business model, they all still put them in Hong Kong and just if you will suffered through the inconveniences of those days so again how many uh, how many owners are going to now suddenly going to move their aircraft to macau and then have a helicopter flight or have to take the the macau hong kong juhai bridge uh to go over and get their aircraft i just i just don't see it i don't i don't think it's the mentality has changed if anything, that, that chairman is still going to want you to ferry my airplane over from Macau to Hong Kong and do that flight. <laughs> so it'll be, I just don't see it. I just don't see it playing out that way. I really don't.
1: So definitely not too impressed with the idea then.
0: No, not really. Not really. Because I, I just, I guess I've seen it before and the idea was Shenzhen back then and it, it just didn't work. And it's, it's not much different now, frankly. Um, so I just don't see how it's going to be any different. So we've got a few more minutes, and then we'll have to wrap it up. Last one: uh, Taiwan, interesting market. Probably um, maybe not suffering as much as its its mainland China, Hong Kong, uh, the markets as well. Uh, fairly, you know, steady growth over the last four or five years. Uh, had a flat year in 2019, but wasn't wasn't negative growth. So. Your feelings on the on the Taiwan market?
1: Well, as you say, um, slow and steady growth, although um, remained static last year. Um, yeah, not a, not a huge amount to say. But presumably, um, well, for me at least, Taiwan's one of the countries I I probably know the least about. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be a huge amount going on there. Um, slow and steady, like you say.
0: Yeah, slow and steady. Again, mostly a long range aircraft market, which. Therefore means it's uh, predominantly a Gulfstream market as well. Not, not many local operators, the most significant one being executive aviation, Taiwan, EATC. Uh, but as you said, not, not a whole lot going on, but maybe uh, steady and true. So maybe they, you know, they win the race at the end of the day. I don't know.
1: And since we have very popular market for Gulfstream as well, uh, almost half of all aircraft in Taiwan are, are Gulfstream. Why, why do you think that is?
0: Yeah. We're 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 heading off into probably uh, political waters here. I think Taiwan has always been a, a, a U.S. market. Uh, if you look at um, where they typically purchase their aircraft from, when it's commercial airliners and everything else, uh, they do have a tendency to support U.S. products. Uh, so that's always been the case. At
1: least Lisa, that might be better than so yes. <laughs>
0: Maggie's in here waving at me. No, 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 don't talk about that kind of stuff. Okay, okay. all right, all right. So, well, Alud, I appreciate you uh, getting up early in, uh, in the UK and joining us. Um, as mentioned, we've uh, sort of touched on the country profiles as part of the Asian Sky Group's, Asian Sky Media's Business Jet Fleet Report. We've talked about the uh, Korea, South Korea, Japan, and mainland China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Macau country profile if you're interested in, in getting your copy of those country profiles you need to go to www.asianskymedia.com and you'll find all the country profiles available for you there again elude appreciate you uh joining us as i said uh, depending on how many how many viewers or readers listeners we get uh hope to do this again we've got uh we'd certainly like to schedule you in for another one where we talk about Southeast Asia as well, and then see whether we go any further south from there. So thanks. thanks a lot, Lude. Thanks for joining us this week on Asian SkyCast. Make sure to visit our website, Asian Sky Media, where you can subscribe to the show on your phone or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show.